This is Blood and Firewater, a true crime, comedy, discussion type podcast. We shoot tequila and we chase it with a case of murder. Just as a disclaimer, this podcast contains mature content not suitable for all ages. So listener's discretion is advised. I am your host Rashad and I would like to thank each and every one of you for tuning into the show. We promise not to be insensitive to the victims and respect their families. However, we will poke fun at other persons, places, and things involved with the case. We're not professionals, and we don't pretend to be. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your cat. Mm. Well, she stopped talking like that. Talking like what? We like you're sick. I'm not sick. I I don't know how else. <clears throat> there, I'll clear my vo- my throat. That's probably why I haven't been talking in the last like two days. Because, like, my throat hurts, but it's fine. Mm. It doesn't hurt, but it not sounds like, like I'm struggling to talk. Yeah, not like a sick, oh, I'm sick, help me, like a sick. No, I noticed that in the last episode when I listened to it for the 13th time. I was like, I sound sick. Am I okay? And then, then I asked myself if I was okay. <laughs> While I was listening to myself. As we proceed to give you what you need, first we have to shout out a podcast. Uh, The name of the podcast is The Slaughter Sisters. I just so happened to stumble upon this podcast um, probably about a week ago. They only had like three episodes when I found it, but all three episodes were right there with on the brink of completely serious and laughter fall out your chair kind of shit the problem was i was at work and i couldn't fall out but anyway so it's hosted by sharon and nicole they um they just started so they got like four or five episodes but definitely worth a listen i binged it straight through reached out to them told them i'd keep listening as they keep coming out so you should do the same yeah so last week we did uh biggie no (laughs) last week we did tupac And we talked about that, Um, but it goes without saying, you don't do Tupac without Biggie, or vice versa. Biggie's case was a lot different than Tupac's case. No one thinks Biggie is still alive. Like, there's a couple people that think Biggie might still be alive, but there's, for every one of those, there's 20 other people that think Tupac is still alive. Yeah, I know. Tupac over Biggie. With Biggie's case, this case has been solved, kinda. It's kind of hard to uh, prosecute a dead guy. Spoiler alert. Therefore, no smoking gun, no suspected constituents, no closed case. One finger is pointed at LAPD, the other at Suge Knight, the president of Death Row Records, and a third finger is pointed at Puffy. Of all ditties, it gets better. But before we get to that rabbit hole or all the other rabbit holes in this story, let's start at the beginning of the life of Christopher George Latour Wallace. You may be more familiar with the name Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, Big, Big Man, The King of New York, Frankie Baby, Big Papa, or The Black Frank White. Either way, here goes. When this episode airs, coincidentally, it will be Big's 48th birthday. We tried to find the drink he made popular for this episode. However, Don Perignon and Alizé is completely outside of my budget. So we got our hands on some 90 proof 
rye whiskey from Manhattan, which, if my memory serves me right, is about 45 minutes away from Brooklyn. Happy birthday, Big. Ooh. Now, Suge got Biggie killed. <laughs> and I'm about to prove it tonight. Right now. Ew. What kind of whiskey? Raw whiskey. <laughs> but by the time we get to the end, by the time I get to the end of this story, you let me know who you think did it. And also the audience. If you would like to reach out to us, tell us on Instagram at Blood and Firewater Podcast, Twitter at BFW Pod Squad. And if you want to just shoot me an email and we could talk about it, shoot it to bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. But let's, so we're going to start from the jump. Christopher Wallace was born today, May 21st, 1972. Not today, today. I know. Okay. He was born in Brooklyn, New York at St. Mary's Hospital. An only child to Jamaican immigrants, Violetta Wallace and Selwyn George Latour. His mother was a preschool teacher. His father was a politician slash welder on the weekends. I'm not sure which one he did. And I'm not sure what he was political for. Like, just so. We both understand that. But you could say that being Jamaican immigrants, they were living the American dream, right? More like the black American dad story. Big's father left the family when he was about two years old, so it's just Big and his mommy now, living in Clinton Hill near Bedford Stuyvesant, better known as Bed-Stuy. Yeah, bed In the beginning, the stoop kid was not allowed to leave his stoop. But everybody hung out at the corner of Fulton and St. James. Friends, gangs, drug dealers, drug users, thieves, prostitutes, crooked cops, a natural who's who of the neighborhood. If you were a part of that neighborhood and a part of what was going on, you probably hung out on Fulton Street. But if you weren't dealing or stealing or any of those things I mentioned previously, you were a nobody. Regardless of the fact that he did great at Queens of All Saints Middle School, that his mom worked hard to get him into because it was like a private Catholic school, and he had multiple awards and accolades in English. At the age of 12, he started selling drugs and going by the name Big. Well, because he was, well, big. Big. You've seen him, don't trip. Handsome, never. Black and ugly as ever. However, he entered. (laughs) It's funny. Fuck you. It's funny. However, he he entertained the crowds on Fulton Street with his quick witted freestyle battles as a teenager but moonlighted as a pistol-packing drug dealer unbeknownst to his mom, Dukes. So, I, like, in the movie Notorious, they, they got this, this part where, like, he would leave for school, dress one way, go up to the roof, change clothes, and then hit the block. You know what I mean? Yeah, had a couple times like that in my day. I never, I never had to do that. Like, the more inconspicuous, the better. If I went... To sell drugs on the corner, and I was dressed like a Catholic student. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to pull me over or arrest me or whatever. He caught some weapons charges at the age of 17 and got probation. Then Biggie dropped out of George Westinghouse Career and Technical Education High School. There's got to be an abbreviation for that. Mm-hmm. Where he did attend with Jay Z, Buster Rhymes, and DMX. Other notable mentions include Oliver Grant, the CEO of Wu Wear from the Wu Tang Clan and the producer of most of their albums, and Michael Williams, an actor in the films Bullet with Tupac Shakur, Belly 2 with Nas, and DMX, 12 Years a Slave. I forgot who was in that movie because I never saw it. Same. Uh, 
In shows like Law and Order, The Sopranos, third season, and The Wire, he was Omar in The Wire, apparently. Some more successful than others. Who was Omar in The Wire? Michael Williams, I just oh, said. Okay. <laughs> Biggie takes a trip down, down south to North Carolina, and he hadn't gotten the Ten Crack Commandments down at this point. He was arrested in 1991 for possession of crack cocaine and marijuana with the intent to sell and spent nine months in a rally jail before making bail. But he gets out and he decides to focus more on his craft. But you know what they, they say. They. Once a drug dealer, always a drug dealer. No. Because they say that, that doesn't make it. That's what they say. If you're a <laughs> felon right now and you get pulled over and you, they pull your record and a drug charge pops up, guess what? Automatic search of the car. Whatever, I am. I am a, uh, uh, how you say, when you're not a felon no more. You're just a person. I'm just a person. I can vote. No, you yeah. <laughs> There's a gray area there. Mm. But it's fine. You don't, you don't vote. E- even when, <laughs> even because you can, you still wouldn't vote. I voted once. For who? You, you've only been long and alive long enough to vote one time. Like the fuck? I voted for Obama. You telling me that you that old that you voted for Obama? Yes. That's like twelve years ago. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, I I voted for Obama twelve years ago, Rashad. All right, so he goes to Raleigh. Jay. He goes to Raleigh. Spend some time in jail, but he gets out and he decides to focus more on his crap, blah, blah, blah. Biggie got a three-song demo out with the help of his boy 50 Grand, his DJ, like his very first DJ. And he starts going by Biggie Smalls. This is going to come up later. A reference to a character from the 1975 film, Let's Do It Again, starring Bill Cosby, Sidney Poitier, Jimmy Walker, uh, you know, Dynamite, that Jimmy Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a crime slash comedy sh- like movie how ironic we got a crime slash comedy show <laughs> according to his uh body mass index for his height and weight at the age of like 16 he was 6'3 somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 pounds he was not the fittest person in the world but the name biggie smalls fit him and i don't know anyone in this world that doesn't know the name Biggie Smalls, and I don't know anybody else in the world that would try and take it. There's, there's just certain songs, even if they don't know who Biggie was and or Tupac was, just throwing it out there because they were a unit that <laughs> if you didn't know who he was, you definitely heard his music. So they got the demo in front of DJ Mr. C of the Juice Crew have you ever heard the lyric in one of Biggie's songs, Every Saturday, Rap Attack, Mr. Magic, Marley Ma? Big was talking about what he listened to, which turned out to be the very first rap, rap radio station ever, at least in New York. I'm not sure if it was like the only one ever, but like it was pumped to be the very first one in New York. Okay, so, well, Mr. C was in the Juice Crew, and Biggie's demo was in front of them, and they loved that shit. Source Magazine, which was based in New York, Pete Biggie's game and added him into the unsigned hype column. Shortly thereafter, Sean Puff P. Daddy Diddy Combs, a talent director at Uptown Records, heard the demo 
forgot about Brother Love. Huff and Puff Daddy had to get Biggie signed to Uptown Records simply because he loved the sound of his voice. Like, that was it. Like, ah, get him. Got him. Respect was collected, so check it. Puff was already responsible for the success of other artists like Mary J. Blige and Jodeci, and he wanted to add Biggie to his resume. At the time, Puff had joined Uptown Records as an unpaid intern. He worked his way up the corporate ladder to become an A&R guy. He was responsible for finding talent. Like, that was his job. And, you know, as history would show, he's, he's kind of good at it. I'm not even going front. Except for when he did Making the Band. That was his, that was, that's like a desperate attempt. Like, yeah, hey, I'm just picking up people I, off like, the street. Come on now, Combs. None of them bands made it. I need y'all to walk to Manhattan and get me an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> if he was responsible for finding talent, overseeing the recording process and promotions, and boy, did he promote. Dancing all up in the videos. All up in, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's going to come up again. I'm sorry. At the meeting, Diddy asked Biggie to freestyle right there on the spot. After Big finished, Diddy told him he could get him an album out by the summer, and he was signed to Uptown like that. Boom. August 3rd, 1993, Biggie's daughter Tiana was born, and he promised her the world. But he was still getting money the fast way, the ski mask way, and he continued to sell drugs at the beginning of his record contract with Uptown. The money was slow to him. Rap was secondary, but money was necessary. Who is Biggie's Biggie? <laughs> Who is Biggie's baby mama? Who is Biggie's? Well, Faith Evans is one of his baby mama. Right. And then uh, Tiana's mama. It's a girl that he went to high school with, but they were broke up at the time. Uh, and but she still got you know. So Faith they were still got knocking Biggie boots, baby. Apparently, Faith got Biggie baby. That, that's gonna come up a little bit later. Mm-mm. Okay. Around that same time, Diddy had just got fired from Uptown Records just for being Diddy. He was cocky, he was arrogant, he probably like danced around the office a lot, I don't know. But he started his own label, Bad Boy Records, and took Biggie with him. 1993 would also be the year Biggie had to change his name because they discovered it was already taken, i.e. the movie I told you about before. Thus, the notorious B.I.G. was born. So Big's career started off with a couple remixes with Mary J. Blige on her album, What's the 411? A couple jump-off tracks led to his solo track, Party and Bullshit, on the Who's the Man soundtrack, the same song Tupac wouldn't stop playing. By this point, Tupac was already platinum, and he was getting into the movie scene. So the story goes, Big saw Tupac on the set of Poetic Justice in L.A. Then Big asked one of Pac's drug dealers to introduce him at a party. What a gentle giant, you know? Mm-hmm. He, could, he could have literally just walked up to Tupac. Well, I don't know if you could just like approach Tupac like that. Because my man was like super paranoid. But, um. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, with everybody that you would probably imagine standing around them, walking up by yourself or with a group of people could just still be a threat. So, yeah. You got to send a man to go talk to the man about a man. I mean, I don't, I don't remember none of the songs he did with Mary J. Blige. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I've listened. You would if you heard them. Yeah, obviously. But, like, I wanted to just be like, oh, you're talking about hypnotize? Because, like, sometimes hypnotize, didn't, it doesn't even really sing hypnotize right now. Could you do it? Uh, 
Biggie, biggie, biggie. Oh. Yeah. See, all you got to do is say that one part, and you're like, oh, that song. It's just crazy. Biggie, biggie, biggie. It's, out of, it's like an out of sight, out of mind thing. You know, he, they stop playing your music, you get forgot about. So, like, this is why we're doing this episode. Even though this case has been covered by, like, 30 million people, if, as long as you keep that shit alive, you're never forgotten about. And it's fucking birthday today, okay? Mm-hmm. Birthday, birthday party. Man, we supposed to be going all out. So they kicked it that night, and they had steaks and Kool Aid. All right. <laughs> and then they went outside and played Nerf guns, but with you know real guns. Like I don't know if you ever saw Notorious, but they were like reenacting, playing like squirt guns or something, but with like real ones. Okay. Yeah, in the backyard and shit. Yeah, they even performed together in New York, and I think in Maryland, but don't quote me on that. But I do know for sure that they performed at Madison Square Garden in 1993. And they hung out. Like, when Pac was in New York, he would come to Brooklyn to see Big. When Big was in Cali, he slept on Pac's couch. The shit that Tupac said about Biggie was mostly true. That He coached... Okay, we'll get to that. Big looked up to Tupac and even asked Tupac to replace Diddy as his manager, but he said, quote, nah, stay with Puff, he will make you a star, unquote. If you were, you know, reading in between the lines, okay, mm-hmm. now I'm gonna, leave, I'm gonna leave you to think about it, but Pac re- remained his mentor and taught big the ways of thug life, for example, Tupac cited the differences between his earlier track, the aggressive party and bullshit, and softer songs from his debut, Ready to Die, like Big Papa, which appealed more to ladies. Tupac told Big to make music for the ladies. They will buy your album, and the guys will buy your album, because what do the girls want? Biggie's album. So, boom. I love it when you even, call me Big Pop. Even Drake took that and ran with it. And, and Lord knows, off of the Take Care album, he says, quote, I know I don't make music for niggas who don't get pussy, so those are the ones I count on to diss me or overlook me, unquote. Drake used the same formula and look where he is now. Drake sang his first two albums. And all all of Drake's albums have gone number one. Tupac knew, he knew the game. He tried, or no, he didn't try. He told Biggie, you know, how to run it. And, you know, you've got a teacher-student relationship going like, I wish there was somebody that would swoop in and be like, hey, you're not raising that kid right. I'm going to show you how to do it. And that kid's going to be a millionaire. Like, there's none of those. Like, I, I, I grew up thinking, like, there's got to be somebody that's going to show me how to do this right. No, there's not. There's actually not. And the only people that will is DSS. And they'd be like, you're not raising this kid right. We're going to take her with us. So Big drops his first album, Ready to Die, in the summer of 1994, and he hits 13th on the Billboard chart. And at that time, there was a lot of stiff competition coming out of the East Coast and down South to compete with, with the more dominant West Coast as far as hip-hop goes. Wu-Tang had just dropped the year prior, Nas dropped, Keith Murray dropped, Method Man's solo project dropped, Craig Mack, The Roots' first album just came out, the Fugees were blowing up, like all these artists are just like flowing. Out of the, just the New England region in general. 
But 1994 was also a tough year to be on the East Coast because of the sheer talent across the board, which is regarded as the hip-hop renaissance or the golden age of hip-hop. Not that you care. What? Because that's not what you're here for. We're here to talk about Biggie. Happy birthday. So Biggie met Faith Evans at a bad boy promotional photo shoot and wasted no time sealing a deal and proposing to her within two weeks of meeting. And on August 4th, 1994, they were married. New album, new wife, new life, far from the Fulton Street hustle that Big was used to. So like, when you, when you make it like that in, in pop culture, what, what do most people do? Like, when, like, if you get signed, what's the first thing you would do? You would bring everybody with you that helped you out along the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, most definitely. So that's exactly what Biggie did. He got, a, he got a group of all of his old friends from the neighborhood, slapped the moniker Junior Mafia on them, which stood for Masters at Finding Intelligent Attitudes. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know. That's what that stood for. And he got them all signed. There were a lot of people in Junior Mafia, and most of them didn't even rap. But he told them, quote, once he got on, I was going to put them on. I got on, so they on, unquote. He was giving ends to his friends, and it felt stupendous. That was another lyric I missed? Yeah. Are you serious? Damn it. Damn. I think I've gotten through a couple lyrics. Hmm. I, mm. Then the shots heard around the world happened, and no, I'm not talking about when Biggie got shot. I'm talking about when Tupac got shot for the first time at Quad Studios in, in November of 94. If you listen to the Tupac episode, or you know the story then you know all about it. But if you don't know, long story short, Tupac was in New York for a court date. He got offered 7000 to feature on somebody else's song. So he went with three other people, got shot and robbed in the lobby of Quad Studios. After the robbery, Tupac was wheeled into the ambulance, saw Biggie Puff, a guy named Jimmy Hinchman. Uh, they were standing there in astonishment that Tupac, covered in blood, was just alive after the attack. Puff and Biggie denied having anything to do with the attack, but word had it gotten back to Tupac that Biggie and Puff knew it was going to happen a week prior while Tupac was in prison, serving time for the sexual, sexual, assault, ah, the sexual assault charge. Tupac felt that Biggie, quote, owed me more than to turn his head and act like he didn't know it was about to blow my fucking head off, unquote. He said later, quote, if... And even if Biggie hadn't set him up, or no. Tupac felt that Biggie, quote, owed him more than to turn his head and act like. Wait, what? Tupac felt that Biggie, quote, owed me more than to turn his head and act like he didn't know niggas was about to blow my fucking head off, unquote. He said later. No, that's, that's what's not supposed to be there. He said later. And even if Biggie had, hadn't set him up, he should at least have been able to find out who did it. Tupac got shot in Biggie's neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, if somebody, let, let's say we're, we're back in the bricks. Let's say somebody gets shot and we know him. We could probably, more than likely, 95% of the chance, find out who shot him. Mm -hmm. that, that's just the kind of neighborhood the bricks was you know what i mean like if somebody got shot out there somebody's gonna know who shot him. like so like if you're 
the notorious B.I.G. and someone gets shot in New York like Tupac, you're going to be able to find out who did it pretty quick. I, I just feel like Biggie had all, all the um, all the technology of the time to find out who shot Tupac. Even if he didn't know at the time, he could have just found out. You know what I mean? Uh, well, he had enough time. What was it? Seven months? Nine months? Later? You talking about when Tupac went to jail? No, when Tupac got shot. From the New York thing? It was about nine months, yeah. Yeah, when he got shot in Vegas, it was about nine months later, Biggie got shot. And the Muslims, apparently, you know, for the six days that Tupac was in the hospital, they said that the Muslims wouldn't even let Biggie in. They were just, like, standing by his door not saying nothing just looking at him like nah b <clears throat> you can't come in here well it's funny that you mentioned the muslims because they're going to come up a little bit later no no disrespect assalamu <laughs> 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 alaikum tupac went on to say quote you don't know who shot me in your hometown unquote and tupac's eyes this was betrayal and all eyes were on him to retaliate that and the Who Shot Your Song that Biggie made came yeah, out. It came about, out when he was in prison. It was about four months after he got shot the first time while he was in prison. And the song contains some suspect lines in the first and second verse. That song would go down as one of the best sneak diss tracks of all time. Because it was not supposed to be a diss track towards... Tupac getting shot at Quad Studios. It just wasn't like it was for Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige didn't want to use it. Um, there was somebody else that was supposed to be on the song. They couldn't use it. Yeah, but you know what it made it seem like. Yeah, the implications are strong with this one. He, he could have waited. That's what Tupac said. He said even if the song wasn't about him. They shouldn't have released it because it was just in bad taste. Yeah. That's what he said in prison. While he had some sort of his brain left, but we all know what happened. That guy. After the shooting and the release of his track, Who Shot You, Biggie began to receive death threats. And he began fearing for his life. Suge Knight, president of Death Row Records, began to see, he began to go and see Tupac in New York while in prison. And after one visit, Suge attended the Source Awards in New York on August 3rd, 1995. Do you remember that by any chance? What was the date? Let me refresh your memory. He was there to receive an award for Soundtrack of the Year for Above the Rim. That night that we're talking about is still revered as the most infamous night that changed hip-hop. So, so Suge goes to get the award after previously that day going to go see Tupac. I'm sure Tupac had... Some very colorful things to say about his situation, regardless. Suge gets on stage and he shoots his shot. Quote, to all you artists out there who don't want to be on a record label where the executive producers all up in the videos, all on the records, mm-hmm. dancing. Did he not seem slow to you? Then not? come to death row. He kind of like, he doesn't, he's not the type of person that belongs in front of a microphone. No. In my opinion. Like, he is definitely the guy. And I swear, that crowd seemed like it was a party because the way Snoop was acting while he was saying that, 
like the, my man the was war using that they was talking about. He was using fight language on stage with a baseball bat, mm-hmm. and covered covered in crip fucking memorabilia because a crip would kill to get those bandanas that he was wearing on stage that night. Wouldn't I he guarantee wear red? it. No, what? Are you serious? I could have sworn he had on a red shirt. S- uh, no, Shook was wearing a red shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Snoop Dogg is a notorious crip. Like yeah, tell Snoop, you, like, he's but, been cripping since. Okay, so did Snoop Dogg and Suge have any kind of beef? Because once one, uh, no, it, because they were he saw like Suge signed Snoop Dogg. Okay, well, that's just crazy to me because Snoop Dogg's a crip and he a blood, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the co-founder of Death Row Records. Right, their logo um, was red. Right, he's from the neighborhood. Um, he's synonymous with bloods, yeah, but like no one would, no one's gonna say Suge Knight was a blood. He just was, was from who, that neighborhood. He was. So the crowd was literally separated, like you were saying, by where you stood in the beat, New York hip hop or California. It wasn't a good night for the South at all. <laughs> Who, like, they they just started coming up on the scene. Like, you had Outkast, Goody Mob, 3-6 Mafia, UGK. No love for the South in the 90s. Coincidentally, Atlanta is quite literally the epicenter of hip-hop right now. You got every artist that basically comes out. Migos, 21 Savage. Help me out. What rappers? Ludacris, uh, T.I., Jermaine Dupri. Out of Atlanta. Out of Atlanta, yeah. Missy Elliott. Missy, Missy Elliott's from Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Okay. Gucci Mane. Jeezy. Jeezy. I mean, I... <laughs> at, like, it seems like... Little Bow at, Wow. <laughs> I don't... Little, like, little did you know, Little Bow Wow was signed to Death Row. What? Yeah. Little Bow Wow was little, signed to Death Row. I think it was just Bow Wow now. Well, okay. He's not little no more. He's like thirty. Yeah. Something. What about uh? And his what, little his middle name is Rashad. Wh- Boom. <laughs> what about uh the the Russells? They're from New York. Oh. Seriously. They're in Atlanta now. That's all I. Had. Yeah, they probably live there. TLC came out of Atlanta. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of artists that either had to go to Atlanta or oh came no, you out still go Atlanta. to Atlanta. No, I'm saying like you had to come out of Atlanta or go to Atlanta to make what you want to happen. The mumble rapper shit came out of Atlanta, I feel like. It definitely did, but I don't know. Like mumble I feel like mumble rappers came from just not having the capacity to like make words make sense. <laughs> like words are hard. Do you say this, Rashad? Right? Words are hard. Words are hard. So Puff got on stage that night at the Source Awards. Mind you, they're in New York City. Okay, they're at home. Puffy ain't got to really just like worry about nothing. He gets on stage and he says, "Quote: I'm the executive producer." A comment was made about a little bit earlier, but check it this out. Contrary to which other people may feel, I would like to say that I'm very proud of Dr. Dre of Death Row and Suge Knight for their accomplishments. And all this East and West, that needs to stop. Unquote. 
Because that always works, right? You just get on stage and you apologize or something. Whatever that, whatever you want to call that comment that he made. Whatever you want to call it. Fast forward about, I don't know when this video came out. I know it's on YouTube. But Diddy was on Drink Champs, the podcast. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No. And he later said to Nori that, quote, Suge Knight picked me up from the airport and the whole entire thing before that. Suge and Puffy were together at some point before the Source Awards. According to P. Diddy, the 95 Source Awards speech that Suge Knight kind of had Diddy taken back because he said he spoke to Death Row before they were there. Like the whole, everybody was in Death Row. Diddy spoke to everybody or whatever. And then Suge gets on stage. He says that little shit. So Puffy said... Quote, we went to the tunnel, which is, I'm, I'm assuming it was a club, after the Source Awards. Homeboy was in the tunnel. We go to have a conversation. This is our town. We run the tunnel. The whole bar is mine. Let's not get it twisted. I'm ordering garbage buckets of champagne, unquote. Then he said, um, I ran up and I asked Suge if he was talking about me. So he says, Diddy said that Suge said he was talking about Jermaine Dupree. Now, Jermaine Dupree will dance in your video. You remember Bow Wow's videos? Yeah. You remember every single remix Jermaine, Jermaine Dupree was on? He, he literally makes himself known. Ah-ha. <laughs> 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 you know he's on there because he does that shit. So, like, it had me thinking, like, maybe, maybe he was talking about Jermaine Dupree and Jermaine Dupree will come up in about 15 seconds. So... Suge didn't like Puff anyway, regardless, or anyone not associated with Death Row Records anyway, because of an altercation that happened a year prior that resulted in Suge's best friend and bodyguard, Jai Hassan Jamal Robles, I'm sorry if I fucked that up, mm. but he got killed. Coincidentally, it was at Jermaine Dupri's party that they were at in Atlanta, but he accused Puff and Bad Boy Records of, you know the whole altercation happening because the story goes Diddy's security guard shot Suge's security guard which happened to be Suge's best friend so Suge's best friend dies and they say Diddy and them did it basically but they were at Jermaine Dupri's party in Atlanta right so right after that they go to the source awards Shook makes that comment on stage saying, hey, dancing in videos, blah, blah, blah. Diddy gets into an altercation at the tunnel in New York. And he's like, you know, that really bothered me, blah, blah, blah. Shook says he was talking about Jermaine Dupri. Not Diddy. But that, that throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. Yeah. It's completely fucking backwards when you think about it. It's just like, wait, you was mad at him for doing this, but... You, you was talking about him for doing that. And at the same time, there's this beef going on, blah, blah, blah. Like, and you had just got done seeing Tupac. Right. Like, so what, what's going on? It's all over the place. I, I, I really didn't know. Where I this... mean, I, I can understand what, how they fucked this whole thing up. The case is all over the place. Like, when, when they left that crime scene to Tupac shit and just, it was just 
No, see, they they just left it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they just left it, right? Like everybody that was coming out of EGM, everything, all that shit. MGM. That's what but I yeah, said. You said EGM, but I said MGM. Okay, it's recorded. But go it on. It sure is recorded. Um, but yeah, like they didn't tape off nothing. They didn't pick up shells, and they said when they did go back, that the shell casings that could have been evidence were rolled over, or they won't. They didn't know what came out of what's gun or who all was shooting or and what kinds of guns was used. Yeah, that was y'all job to find out, but you you did terribly. How do you take two the two most notorious MC rappers? Two of America's most wanted. No point. Oh, yeah, America America's most wanted. And they both die same style. Drive by, gun, bang bang, obla. And nobody don't know nothing. I feel like this is a code that had to stick to these streets from here on out. Because all these other people just dying. And we think there's conspiracy behind it. I think they're just going to get covered up too. So I think the previous beef Suge's already got with Diddy because of the Atlanta shooting. Then you have the meeting that he is he had just left with Tupac expressing how Big and Puff had something to do with the shooting at Quad Studios. He's like, well, now we have mutual interests. We both hate this person or these people over here at this camp. Yeah, common enemy. So what I want you to do is that I want you to sign a death row and they, they attack bad boy on wax. As well as in the physical sense. Like, not only are we going to break y'all from the foundation, but we're going to take your top guy off his pedestal. Because Biggie was running shit while Tupac was in jail. It was either east or west. There was no south shit. Like, Texas, Louisiana, there was no cash money records. There was no, like, there was nothing going on in the south. You had, you had Outkast and Goody Mob. That was it. If you weren't listening to them, you weren't listening to nobody from the South. There was no Petey Pablo. Coincidentally, he was signed to <laughs> Death Row. You, you, you had no Lisa Lopez left eye from TLC. Coincidentally, she was signed to Death Row. Who was Faith Evans signed to? Bad boy. Okay, obviously. That was a stupid question. Suge gets Tupac to sign to Death Row. So who... Okay, Suge... If Snoop Dogg was the co-founder of No, Death- Dr. Dre was the co-founder of Death Row Records. Okay. And Dr. Dre and Snoop. And then they signed Suge on. No, 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 no. Suge and Dr. Dre created Death Row Records. Okay. Snoop was an automatic because he came with Dr. Dre. You don't, you don't get one without the other. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the question you asked. What was the question? Was it a question? I don't know. You asked. <laughs> oh, I did, and you answered it. I said, "Who, who, who started Defro? Dr. Dre and Suge started Defro. Suge did the whole thing at the Source Awards. He told everybody to come sign at Defro. Right. Boom. He had already he that day. I'm assuming he signed Tupac, and they had all these plans to attack Bad Boy on wax. But Achilles is still locked up, and Dr. Dre and Snoop don't want that smoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But Suge vowed to Tupac that they would clap back at Bad Boy if he would sign a contract with Death Row for three albums. If you listen to our last episode, we find out how Suge basically Birdman Tupac into the whole... Yeah, okay. Just go back and listen to that one. Come back here. Whenever you get a chance. <laughs> Just come back here. That incident with Suge's bodyguard that I told you about at Jermaine Dupri's party happened in September of 95. Then, in December, Suge and associates from Death Row, including Tupac, ran up on a friend of Puffy's named Mark Anthony Bell at a Death Row Christmas party. Don't know what the fuck he was doing there, but okay. And he demanded the addresses of Puffy and Puffy's mother. He refused, so they beat the dog shit out of him. Then forced him to drink pee. Tactics aren't so on the great side with this. Because the guy knew everybody that was in the fucking room. Including the guy that just got out of prison, a.k.a. Tupac. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you, you're trying to make me drink pee and Tupac is in here? Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? The case was settled out of court, obviously, because gang activity. And Bell was paid $600,000 and the charges were dropped. Biggie would have his own share of legal woes, picking up a second-degree harassment charge on March 23rd for attacking fans in Manhattan. I didn't think we would go <laughs> so far into Suge Knight in the middle of a Biggie episode. Like, right. Shit. I mean, because Suge, Suge ain't saying something. Suge lying. No, Suge has got a lot to say, but he lies a lot. And that's the problem. Biggie attacked some fans on March 23rd in Manhattan near the Palladium Dance Club and drug and weapons charges in mid of 1996 police found 50 grams of marijuana which is roughly about two ounces four automatic weapons with laser sights and large bullets clips and filed off serial numbers heavy 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 charges that same summer he was arrested on charges of assault and robbing a friend of a friend in camden new jersey brandy you know where camden is right i do know where camden new jersey is the charges for that were filed down to a civil suit and the man received $40,000 in a later settlement. Lastly, that fall, Biggie was charged with drug possession after getting caught hotboxing weed in a car near the mall. The car was repossessed, so him and his little, and little Cease went to go get another car and chose a Chevy Lumina with bad brakes. They got onto the New Jersey Turnpike before sliding over to the wrong side of the road. I think it was like raining that day and they just skirt. And, skirt, skirt. and wrecked, leaving Biggie with a broken leg and cease a broken jaw. This is why, towards the end of Biggie, you saw him with a cane. Like, in the beginning, you never saw him with a cane. All of a sudden, he had a cane everywhere. That's why. He got in a wreck on the New Jersey Turnpike. Just so you know. What was those five things you didn't think I would know? No, that was... Fuck off. I wanted to do a game, and... We I... can still play this game, bro. <laughs> June 96, Hit 'em Up comes out. Like, if, <laughs> if you have not heard Hit 'em Up, don't. Just don't. It's the most notorious diss track ever to come out, but it doesn't shake the king of New York. Baby, baby. Big said in a later interview, I can't be mad at him for doing what he do. He gotta do what he do. He do what he do. I just couldn't be the one to do it back, though. It's not my style, unquote. In response to the diss track. The most disrespectful is the first line. Not even a lyric. 
As soon as Tupac starts talking, boom, song over. He could have just ended it with that. And that may be what rocked the relationship between him and Faith, a little to say the least. <laughs> oh, okay. But that's, that's going to come up later. It, like I kind of went on a rant a little bit. So then Tupac was shot and murdered in Las Vegas during a boxing match at the MGM Grand on September 7th, 1996. And later died from the gunshot wounds on the 13th. Again, previous episode, you want to go back, listen to that, learn more about it, finish this one, then go back. That simple. Yeah, just, you know, I mean. It's called you, recycling. Well, you can't listen to a Tupac case without a Biggie case. So if you have to hear this one first, you're just going to ultimately have to go back. After doing all the research for that episode, I will say. That Biggie had nothing to do with Tupac being killed. Like, there was no, there was no, like, Biggie said this. There was no, like, Biggie was mad at Tupac for that. There was none of that. You know what I mean? So, it's just hard for me to believe that, I believe that Biggie feared for his life. I believe that. But I don't believe that he had hate in his heart towards Tupac because... They met at a, a Soul Train Awards that year and, or not that year, but like in 90, I want to say 93, 94. And no, it, was, it had to have been after Hit 'em Up came up. Biggie asked him like, what the fuck? And all, right, Tupac, like- all Tupac had to say was, I'm just trying to sell records. And his, that's like verbatim. That's what his mama said. That's what Biggie's mama said. If, like me being the bigger person, if you're just trying to sell records and I'm selling records without even trying to diss you, why would I even a- attempt to to go lyrically with, you know, to, to keep this ongoing, fuel, like to fuel the fire of this East Coast, West Coast thing. Like, so I, I totally get where he's coming from. But at the same time, if I'm trying to sell records, also, I'm going to just respond, maybe. But, like, subliminally as fuck, because that's, that's how Biggie worked. Like, if you listen to, if you listen to his words, you, you could read it, like, 13 different kinds of ways. Like, Who Shot You was, it sounded just like a diss towards Tupac. Him being in jail when it came out, it was, like, some old heads in there, allegedly, trying to get him not to retaliate. And then you got the young kids saying, that shit is about you. If it was you telling me that that song was for Mary J. Blige, she didn't want it, so Big took it. I don't know, three days after Tupac got shot. It was was a couple months. It was four months after Tupac got shot. Okay. Well, four months, two months, three days, the next second. You don't do that. <laughs> the next second. You don't do that to your homeboy. That's like, that's like. So you can understand why why Tupac felt the way he did. Yes. Tupac was a thinker. He wasn't just like a little scrappy. <laughs> like he he was a methodical type person. Like he didn't just jump to conclusions. He thought them out. Like you release this song right after I got shot. In real life, not like Grand Theft Auto shit. Like, Grand Theft Auto. No, I can't let this ride. Your your baby daddy said it best. He's like, no, it's wartime. 
<laughs> that's what he said. I was like, you know, you come over to my house, and I like I ask you to come record, and then you get shot on my front doorstep. Who are you gonna blame it on? I'm blame it on you. Exactly. So I will say that Biggie had nothing to do with it, but did he? Oh wait, no way. I'm kidding. I didn't just say what you think I did. Did he? <laughs> that's funny. This episode is chock full of rap innuendos. Ketchup like mayonnaise. Like, this is one of those episodes where you have to listen to it over and over again to find all the rap innuendos in it. Because there's a lot of them. And I'm just playing, Diddy. You know I love you. I was about to say that. That was from Eminem. So, good news, finally. Faith gives birth to her and Biggie's son, Christopher Wallace Jr., on October 29th, 1996. So, yay. Back to the bad news, Biggie denied that he was the father because at this point they were estranged in their marriage. Biggie had a fair share of his own affairs, including one with bad boy artist Charlie Baltimore. You remember Charlie Baltimore, right? Not right. And Lil' Kim. Right. He was probably still hot about her alleged affair with Tupac once his arch enemy, you know, because he found out Right around the time, and then, like, not that long after, he was dead. So, like, ah, I'm still kind of hot about that. Faith was out in L.A. right around the time Hit 'Em Up came out. And then she took pictures with Tupac. Then Tupac um, was on the set of um, California Love. And um, he made some comments. About Faith Evans and Bad Boy Records. Oh, yeah. I remember this. He's like, oh, yeah. Faith. Got your girl. And like, I oh, fucked yeah. your wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. That, that would have anybody kind of just, like, not sitting right. But whatever. Biggie was on tour with Junior Mafia, and he was probably cheating on her anyway. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about a true crime case and then involve, like, cheating spouses i don't you know it's just like a gray area it's just like it really doesn't matter like mm-hmm. that's that's not what we're here for i don't care there, there's a lot of genitals flying around at this point like we don't care where they are so we're, we're going going back back Can to I? los angeles oh in cali cali yeah in february of 1997 big is promoting his second album coincidentally named Life After Death, and filmed the video for the single off the album Hypnotize. For gangster rappers, like, after doing all this, like, reading and stuff, they were pretty emo sometimes. They just like to talk about death and getting shot and dying. And and you're talking about... If they had, like, the hair flip thing? Mm-hmm. It would almost... They would have almost made it cool before Fall Out Boy did. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I can see where you're, what you're laying down. He wanted to wipe the slate clean from all of the beef shit that was going on because on his end, from his camp, there was none. He never put out a response to hit him up. He never was actively talking shit about Tupac, Death Row, Suge Knight, any, like, Crips, Bloods. I've never even heard in all the interviews I've watched biggie say crips or bloods at all you know what i mean like so whatever happened to him was completely casper the ghost to him like it didn't exist 
Right. But he wanted to wipe he wanted to wipe the slate clean. And Puffy did too. Because if you watch the Steve Harvey show, which I know you did around that time, Snoop and Diddy literally were on that show, brought up the East and West Coast beef. They literally shook hands, said there was no beef, and they let them talk to kids. On the Steve Harvey show? On the Steve Harvey show. Google it. Look it up. It's on there. I promise you. The fuck? He was also there to present at the Soul Train Music Awards in L.A. In the middle of enemy territory. In the midst of an East Coast, West Coast war. War. Yeah. On March 7th, needless to say, it would be a rough night for Bad Boy Records. He got hassled a little bit while he was there, but it was neither the place or the time for that bullshit. Himself and the rest of Bad Boy Records kept their composure, as always. He even performed that night. No big deal. It was a great performance. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's on YouTube. Check it out. The next night would not be so good. On March, <laughs> the next, oh, on March 8th, 1997, Biggie spent most of the afternoon with his agent, Phil Casey, talking about a tour with Drew Hill, Cisco, <clears throat> Blackstreet, and Heavy D. There was a party being hosted by Vibe Magazine at the Peterson Auto Museum in L.A. Nothing but the, the upper echelon of celebrity there. Aaliyah, Russell Simmons, Missy Elliott, Quincy Jones. It was supposed to be a, a closed event. You know, like only if you got an invitation type event. Then the Crips and the Blood showed up. DJ Quick showed up. And then he had like 10 bloods with him. Then a gaggle of Crips showed up, including the guy that they fingered. Nope. The guy that police thought shot Tupac, Orlando Anderson. By midnight, the party was no closed event, and fire marshal showed up and shut the shit down, like, immediately. It took Biggie and the rest of Bad Boy 40 minutes to get out of the building. That's how packed it was. You know, if it takes you, like, if someone said, hey, you gotta go, and it takes you 40 minutes to get out, one building. So long story short, it was really packed. Here's, here's where we start to break down the um, timeline of events that led to the shooting of Biggie, 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 can't you see? Around 12.41, Biggie gets into the front seat of a green GMC Suburban with his man D-Rock, Lil Cease, and G-Money driving. The rest of his entourage in two different cars. Puffy and three other bodyguards are in the car in front of him. And the rest of the security is in the car behind him. All Suburbans. Completely different from Tupac where he was just riding with Suge and nobody else. But whatever. So they pull out of the Peterson parking garage in a line. Then at 12.45, a white SUV cuts off Biggie's security from, from him. Like... Biggie's security's behind him. There's this white SUV that pulls out, cuts off Biggie's security. If not that long, but for a moment. And it only takes so long to get cut off in traffic. And you're like, fucking. You ever had that feeling when you're about to get in a wreck? Uh, and then it, you have to like ride with that feeling for like yeah. 20 minutes. 
because like the adrenaline that goes to your body when you all you're in a near wreck situation mm -hmm. and then you just like <laughs> have to just keep driving just keep swimming i can't imagine how many people have that feeling like every couple seconds where like it's like a near wreck situation and then your body's just full of adrenaline but you have to just like keep driving like a normal person <laughs> like it doesn't make sense to me like you should like there should be a freak out lane where you're just like fuck my life like i just almost got in a wreck imagine basically downtown greenville as soon as you pull out of a parking garage there's a light right right there <clears throat> that that's exactly how it was like you pull out of that parking garage 50 yards is not far. I know you don't know how far. Shots fired. But it's not that far. It's like basically from here to my neighbor's mailbox. Mm -hmm. Puff's car shoots through the light. Like they had the yellow. They shoot through it. Big's car and his security car catches the red light. So they're stopped on the corner of Wilshire Boulevard and Fairfax Avenue. Mind you, the security car is a little backed up because of the cutoff car. And it's crowded as shit because people and cars. We're talking about an event that literally got shut down by fire marshals because it's dangerous to have that many people in one space kind of shit. So, like, people are filing out into the streets. That security car may not be as close to Biggie's car as reported because like they say it's like right behind him but I'd imagine my security all of them would be strapped right. so as soon as they see a arm yeah, come a out random of, okay Pockin what's the name is talking to I didn't hire y'all to just sit there and look pretty or I didn't hire y'all to get stuck behind the light behind me <laughs> like we talking some bitches. Make sure y'all got our. I'm on the. I'm. I'm where I should be. Corners. In life, right now, I should not be on this coast. I mean, okay, so his security was behind him, literally. So By he report. had to see a car pull up beside, not knowing what was going I'm on. I'm sorry, but like, I'm. I'm glad that security measures have have been upgraded. No, Kim be Kardashian still got motherfucking murked in uh, France. See that, and you know that's that's another thing about being security fa facially Se facially. Security is the the motherfucker setting shit up. What? Oh, oh. So you're saying it was an inside inside job. inside job? Okay, that's a new one. Let me tell you what actually happened because we kind of got trailed off a little bit about the fifty yard thing. Twelve forty five, approximately. While they're stopped at the light, a black, perhaps dark green or blue, let's just say dark colored, because for one. Nobody knows. Mm. But everybody knows it's a Chevy Impala. It pulls up to the passenger side on Biggie's side of the car for, I guess, reports say made direct eye contact. Neither the person nor Biggie will tell you that they made this eye contact. But I read a lot of articles and all of them said like Biggie talked, like looked at him and talked to him for a second. Like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like no, it didn't. It didn't happen like that. But like he pulls up on Biggie's side of the car, he reaches across his body, grabs a blue steel nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol. He shoots six shots into Biggie's vehicle. Two shots into the car. Okay, <laughs> one in the door, one I guess like ricocheted 
from the far side of the car and was left inside of the car. The other four shots ended up in Biggie. Immediately after hearing the shots, Diddy's car turns around and parks in front of Biggie's car. Diddy stays with Biggie while the first car, the one that was parked in front of Biggie's car, goes in pursuit of the Impala. The Impala loses him, and then they return back to Biggie's car. Three of the bullets that hit him were not fatal. One in the forearm, the back, and the leg. That fourth shot would enter through his hip, traveling through his colon, liver, heart, and lung before resting in his top left shoulder. He was rushed to Cedar sinai same hospital as Brittany Murphy, <laughs> and they managed to lift this almost 400-pound beast of a man out of the Suburban and into a gurney for emergency surgery. I mean... That, that had to... I'm sorry. That's what they are. Those are those are critical seconds right there. Yeah, no, because nobody wanted to appreciate frontline heroes until frontline became heroes during the COVID. Shout um, out to all our nurses out there that yeah, are doing their job. Shout drawing. out to the nurses, our doctors, our nurses. Because y'all, you want to know how he cafeteria was able, people in hospitals. <laughs> you want to know how he was able, or they were able to lift that four hundred pen pound man on a gurney i think it said it took like eight people to do it six or eight six between, well, eight of them people eight. are trained in to do shit like that because you know doctors attempt to perform an emergency thoracotomy but they had no idea of the damage to his heart because the bullet you know went through his hip boom ping 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 played Bang. pinball big was already dead at that point he was pronounced at one 15 a.m. on March 9, 1997. Christopher, the notorious B.I.G. Wallace, was only 24 years old at the time of his death. 24? Like, I remember thinking they were a lot older. Yeah. Like, grown men older. But that's because you were eight years old. But then, do you remember when you were 24? Yeah. What kind uh, of shit what you were doing? I had two-year-olds. Oh. <laughs> Did you think about it? Gross. So, at autopsy, they found no burning or perforation around the gunshot wounds, meaning they were not close-range shots. He had an enlarged heart, which is synonymous with high blood pressure, meaning his heart had to work a lot harder to pump blood throughout his body. So, four gunshot wounds. Tupac got shot, what, five times? Yeah. 50 got shot nine times. I mean, you know, people survive gunshots, you know. But, like, if your heart has to work a lot harder to pump that blood through, you're probably not going to survive these, these gunshots. He was not in the shape to eat four or five bullets. He ate a lot of stuff, but bullets were not it. His toxicology report showed no illegal drugs in the system. However, weed was found on him. It was like, it was like half a gram of weed or something. Biggie had one tattoo, still pretty fresh. Quote from Psalms 27, quote, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The bullet wounds from his body showed that one bullet entered his elbow and came out of his wrist. The next hit his thigh and just basically stuck there. The third hit on the lower right side of his back and exited through his left shoulder. And the kill shot entered just above his right hip and played pinball with his internal organs. Two bullets recovered from his body were full metal jacket bullets. Cheap 
gangland bullets, used notoriously by the Bloods and the Crips. LAPD investigators responded to the scene and shut the Peterson along with the strip down to collect evidence <coughs> without questioning witnesses. Though. Mm. Lead investigator Stephen Katz deduces from this situation that since Bad Boy and Death Row had been beefing, it was an inside job between the two camps, just like you thought. From even the lowest levels, the entire coast had been, you know, at it, or so the media would proclaim. You know, like you see in pop culture, like, oh, it's East versus West. Like, so that's just what you believe. Eastside. <laughs> then something unexpected happens. March 19th, 1997, two LAPD cops get in a shootout and one dies. The shootout was between them. 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 Frank Liga had been undercover and ran into an off-duty officer named Kevin Gaines. Words are exchanged, then bullets. Lead investigator on the case, Russell Poole, responds to the scene and finds out that the car Gaines is driving. Gaines is dead, by the way. Sorry. The car he's driving is registered to the wife of Suge Knight. Then another crooked cop named David Mack robs a bank in broad daylight in Los Angeles and gets away with $722,000. Walks out the bank. Apparently his girlfriend has something to do with it. This isn't his story. This is Biggie's birthday. Happy birthday. Poole responds to the call to apprehend Mac on December 16th. And that's when they find pictures of him dressed in all red, which is to be associated with the Bloods, who were associated with Suge. Then they find a black Chevy Impala in his garage, which is right next to what Poole described as a shrine to Tupac. The same car was loosely described in the night Biggie got shot. It was a, it was a dark colored Impala. I'm sorry, but like I've I've seen a lot of cars at night, you know, in in my lifetime. Not being able to tell what. Color. And like if a black one or a green, a dark green or a dark blue, like you cannot tell unless nobody I never know except the people that admitted to the cops who did it, and then they just swept it under the rug. They also find gecko ammunition inside of his house, the same type of am ammunition used to kill Biggie, which they'll find out later. But you know. So Max tossed in jail, and a real estate agent named Amir Muhammad comes to visit Max. Nothing weird about that, except an informant mentioned that the guy that shot Biggie, his name was Amir, and the informant's name was Psycho Mike. Take from it what you will. They say Psycho Mike helped solve two other homicides and was a reliable source. Others would say that he was just psycho. I guess it didn't help that Amir used a fake address and a fake social security number when he signed into the prison to see Mac. In a turn of events, police find out that Psycho Mike was in jail during Biggie's murder and got most of his testimony from people inside of the jail. So, not so credible. Of a witness when you weren't a witness. Okay. All of that's just trash. Then the Rampart scandal happened. Yet another corrupt cop, Rafael Perez, was caught stealing cocaine, roughly about three kilos, from the evidence room 
of the Rampart Division of the LAPD and selling it on the street with the help of other officers, including David Mack. Although Perez implicated over 70 officers, David Mack and himself were the only true criminals in this case. Now, Stephen Katz, the lead on the Biggie case, gets kicked off because he fucked up royally in the very beginning. The Impala found at Mack's house was never tested for evidence. And an interview with Amir, whom they found out came to visit David Mack, was never initiated. And when it came turn to turn the case over, like to someone who was going to actually do their job, he forgot like 200 pages worth of documents about the case. So, you're fired. All of these loose ends, Poole began to tie them together, presenting to the board that there were corrupt cops on the LAPD that killed Biggie, and they tell him that all of his evidence is basically circumstantial at best. So Poole calls it quits in 1999. He just walks off the job one year before he retires and writes a book called The Labyrinth. Based on all of the credible information in the book in early 2002, a lawyer reaches out to Valletta Wallace, Biggie's mother, and she files a wrongful death lawsuit against the LAPD in the amount of $400 million, which was the price tag that Biggie was worth. Like, they added up, they added up everything he would have possibly have been worth by that time, and it amounted to $400 million. So that's what the fuck she was suing him for. So she was going to get it. I need to. So, outside of um, one of the theories I'm going to present is the case of Biggie Smalls. Like, that's, that's basically where we are because there, it hasn't been solved. Like, she, 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 lost, she did not win the lawsuit, just so you know. Like, it got thrown out. Which is in the theories. So yeah, I'm just going to just go straight into theories. And we're going to knock this out. So there, the first theory, which is the theory that pretty much is the result of it being solved. There was a police investigator that claims that he, he solved the case. His name, I am about to try and find right now. Greg Hating. Okay. Poole had to relinquish the case to a guy named Greg Kading. Greg Kading, he's wrote a book about this case. I have, I've purchased the book. I have not got the book yet. I'm waiting for it on Amazon. But he, he received the case after the fact. Here is his theory on what happened and how... He basically solved the case and like he gets high, high fives and shit. I don't know. But it has everything to do with Suge, a guy named Wardell Pucci Faust, who was shot in 2002, and Suge's girlfriend, whom has a like, we'll give an alias as Cindy. Okay. Like, because her, she doesn't, you know, yet to be named. So we'll call her Cindy. So Suge's in jail after the MGM thing with Tupac because he violated his probation with attacking someone. Days later, um, Tupac dies, 
Suge thinks it's a it's a hit from Bad Boy. He calls his girlfriend Cin- Cindy. Her name Cindy. He says, "Go get my man Poochie," or he tells her, "Hey, I need you to go and make this happen. I'm gonna give you twenty five thousand dollars to do the job." So Cindy takes the twenty five thousand dollars. She she get she gets half. Poochie gets the other half. So in theory. It only costs twelve thousand dollars to kill Biggie Smalls. Hmm. That's it. Only twelve bands. I mean, what did whom or what gain out of that? I hope not respect. Because damn, Biggie was gonna have a lot of money. Y'all could have waited. That's Cading theory. The simplest story is usually the most believable. I forgot what it's called. And I like I want I want to believe it's that simple. Like Suge ordered the hit, boom, from jail, from his girlfriend. She gave him a couple grand, and my man just did it. Street level guys are stupid. They'll do they'll they'll do shit to get mentioned on an album or some shit like that. Like it's stupid. Twelve bands was probably a lot back in ninety seven. Yeah, could be that. The second theory is. It was the Nation of Islam. Okay. Mm. Hear me out. Puff security guard Eugene Deal Deal said that he was on edge from the moment he saw a quote unquote serious looking man in a blue suit and bow tie outside the Peterson Museum the night of the shooting. Deal said in his deposition, quote, We had a confrontation the night before at the Soul Train Awards with some people that were from the Nation of Islam, and I was a little worried. About that. He said, as the Muslim came close, the bodyguard recalled, I looked him in the eye and I showed him my weapon. Only then did the man turn and disappear among the cars that lined the street. As the bad boy caravan left the museum's parking lot structure, a few minutes later, Deal rode in the lead vehicle with Combs. They had just driven past Wilshire when I heard tone a member of big's entourage say yo somebody is pulling a gun at big deal recalled and then a man and then i heard something go pop 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 (laughs) (laughs) investigators show him mugshots of about six people and he pointed out just one picture the picture of amir muhammad so amir was supposedly like you know a hitman essentially like and he was also a muslim you know but they couldn't first off you're not gonna fuck with the muslim (laughs) like not the black muslims not the ones out there with the suit no you know what not the ones that are being called professionals i'm not i I don't want to believe that one you said that one goes out you know i wouldn't even i ain't even hanging around with nobody no no hey brother nope <laughs> no. <laughs> the third theory is the it was basically Crips and Bloods. There was there's a theory that a Crip named Corey Edwards shot Biggie and Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Wait. I can't. He shot them both. Oh, shit! Why can't I laugh without coughing like that? Corona. Um. He shot them both, Brandy. 
But, but, <laughs> there's a but. That's a smooth ass motherfucker. That's a smooth criminal. <laughs> but dude, dude was in deep hiding for some drug charges that he got before both of the shootings. Like, he was all, he was pop, hiding pop, out. Pop, pop, pop. Yeah, he shot two people, two of the most famous people on earth at the time. And walked away like, yeah. And then the story goes that they found him. No, you ain't gonna find no hitman <laughs> that did that. And yeah. like when he got arrested, they offered him a deal to roll on everybody that might have any involvement in the case. And my man just chose the drug charges instead. <laughs> so there's that. So the the fourth theory is the Mac Muhammad theory, basically involving Mac who robbed the bank. A corrupt LAPD officer and Amir Muhammad, who visited him in, him in jail, they were tied, you know, to the Biggie shooting. Like Mac gave him the job; he took the job. So the LAPD, job. Muslims, Bloods, ugh. like that's, <laughs> so Shug did have a long list of LAPD officers working for death row. It's not a secret. The police chief is sitting up in the office like, are we really that corrupt? Like, I, like, I had a feeling when they said it, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Like a liar. All, all of those theories, I want to say the simplest one is usually the, the right one. It was a hit, basically, to, reta- to retaliate by Suge Knight. But not by Suge Knight. Like I, you know, let, let's hold on. Let's talk about Diddy for a second. <laughs> what Diddy got to do with it? There were claims that Puff didn't help with the investigation of Biggie's murder at all. He even denied hiring Crips, talking to Crips, even though we all know he talked to Crips. The Crips told the like the police that they talked to Diddy. Like if the Crips are going to tell you they did it, like really. <laughs> Like, bro, like, so Diddy, brother love, number, number five, <laughs> Diddy, not, not Diddy, but did he? Did he? There were claims that Puff did not help with the investigation at all. Of course. Of Biggie's murder. He also did not hiring Crips the night of the murder. He even went as far to say that. If anybody associated with Bad Boy Records' name makes it to a witness list, they were out of a job. All of a sudden, people from Bad Boy started to forget shit. Could it have been a plot after the fact that two CEOs began to see eye to eye when shit got real that if two cash cows in the middle of a East Coast, West Coast rat beef bear to make more money dead than a lot because this is the part where I wanted to make the the connections to the coincidences of the shootings because they're both the same fucking thing Tupac died in a drive-by Biggie died in a drive-by both handguns both producers okay so Suge was in the car with Big or Suge Suge was in the car with Biggie Suge was in the car with Tupac Biggie was in the car in front of Diddy. Neither neither one of them had like legit security detail. 
like they were supposed to because as high profile as they should have been, it should have been a lot higher than that. Yeah. So there was one other theory that I heard through the grapevine. And believe it or not, it came from your boy 6ix9ine. No, no, are you not talking about that shit that went down? I'm just saying. You talking about him looking at that video recording of Suge and coming for Snoop? That, uh, okay, so I can't. Here's here's the thing. No, you heard Snoop. Don't play. Don't play with me, bitch boy. Okay, rat boy. Here's here's the thing. Snoop was on trial for murder, right? You remember that? Snoop keep getting out of jail. Do you remember when Snoop Dogg went was like? You remember murder was the case? Yeah. Okay, so murder was the case for him. All right? Mm -hmm. My man beats the murder case, continues to smoke weed like it's legal until it was legal, and then smokes it like it's illegal at this point. Um, never, Never has had any other legal trouble ever. All right. Well, that, that's if what, you're that's, saying that's that the, Snoop was an that's, in, informant that, that's at some the definition point, definition of an informant. Yeah, that don't mean you a snitch. That, what the fuck do you think an informant is? People tell no people. That's an that's a snitch. That's a rat. Nah, man. Sometimes you got to be an informant. They got and get get in there to know what you need to know. Get out of there. So type. how so how are you gonna get? Mad if at I was an informant, how I would get mad at six nine. Huh. So, so how are you going to get mad at 6 9 for snitch? Because the way he's going about it. Okay, so there's a there's a procedure. No, you see the ignorance? Do you? Do you see the With ignorance? 6 9 Yeah. Okay. Well, like, because one, he wouldn't even be out right now if coronavirus hadn't happened. And he what? wouldn't be he wouldn't be serving the he remaining. He started snitching way before the coronavirus No, I'm happened. saying he, he wouldn't even be out right now. He is... Uh, serving the remainder oh, of his sentence saying, okay. at home. So, you know, with him being a snitch and a rat and all that, he's like, what he should do is, is uh, what is it, uh, reverse psychology? What? The whiskey got me. Reverse psychology? Reverse psychology. He's like, okay, of course everybody going to be a rat, but I'm going to call myself a rat before anybody else can't. No, they were calling him a rat way before he did. I know, but um, this he was locked up. Now he's out. No, now they, he control. He was... Now he can get on the internet. Now he can make and post and do whatever the fuck he wants. He can't he's... live wherever the fuck he wants. No, he can't because he actually just stupidly. Is that a word? No. Stupidly. Um, mm, okay. Posted Judges? his address online and he had to be, uh, you know, I guess replaced somewhere else relocated is the word you're looking for replaced you said replaced i said replaced i feel like six nine might be a clone there's at least two six nines let's put it that way there's one that stays over here on the east coast there's one that stays over there on the west to answer your question no uh i your question was, so why are you mad at 6 9 I'm not mad at 6 9 If he a snitch, he a snitch. If he an informant, he an informant. But if he out here just 
you know, parading this shit like, hey, I'm a rat, I'm a snitch, I'm a rat, I'm a sit. Clearly upsetting folks who don't, you know, condone that shit. That's why I think he is, he were, or he has crossed the line at. Like, whatever the fucking shit with Snoop and Suge, if Snoop was an informant, he no. was an informant. Okay, so if, what Snoop said was, like, because Snoop eventually got questioned. And the officers asked him you know, who he thought shot Tupac. And he said, the motherfucker sitting next to him. Yeah. Well. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but we would love to know. What you think. Our audience. And. If you want to. Feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. Subscribe Inst- to my OnlyFans. Okay. <laughs> Instagram. I I at wait. Blood and Firewater. Is Brandy Podcast. Up, is Brandy up on OnlyFans, you ask? Swipe up, subscribe. <laughs> Twitter at BFW Pod Squad. And if you want to just send us an email, if you want to sit and talk about it, you can shoot me at uh, Facebook and TikTok and uh, DM me if you want to know if Rashad has an OnlyFans. We will let you know. At bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. Yeah. I know y'all want to see Rashad feet. Don't. Stay alert. Stay alive. Don't have an OnlyFans. (laughs) 